I'm putting on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay. So today, last time, I started talking about the design of Onslaught. And today, I'm going to continue. So today, last time I did the overview, and today I'm going to talk more about the actual card-by-card stories. And what I like to do is, as I talk about cards, I hit a lot of the issues that maybe I didn't talk about in the big picture as I hit the small picture. Um, So we're going to start in A with a Fedo Alchemist, a 1U, 1-2 wizard that you could tap or untap uh, you could tap or untap tar- target artifact or creature and had morph you. So last time I talked about how um, when the rules team came to me that uh, as I was trying to sort of branch out what morph could do, I came up with the idea of activated abilities uh, or, or triggered abilities. When you unmorphed, they, they triggered and had an effect. We saved those for legions, but the one thing I did do um, is we did put some stuff in this set that had tap abilities. So that's kind of... Um, allowed us to have a little bit of the sense of having a spell, um, but they weren't, instead of being abilities, just the creature naturally could tap to do it. Um, and so this is a good example of a creature where if you untap it, it could tap things, and so that might be useful. That your opponent, you know, might be planning the attack, figuring out what you can or can't attack with, and sort of planning ahead, not knowing that that morph you have, oh, secretly, for just a single blue mana, could tap one of their creatures. Um, and Notice, for example, it has a very low morph cost, and that's very much on purpose, so that essentially for, for you, you could tap something. But, and the neat thing about this is, it's a 1-2 creature, which means the act of using the morph ability um, actually shrinks its size, but you get a little bit of um, use out of it. So it turns it from a 2-2 into a 1-2, which it goes down, um, but because it has this ability... Um, it allows you to sort of get some interesting use. So it, one of the things about Morph that we definitely looked at is a lot of times Morph's upgrade, but sometimes <coughs> you can trade. It's one of the advantages of having a 2-2 rather than a 1-1 one, one as the base ability is there's a space to go down from it. Next, also in the Afedo, Afedo Grifter. 2-U, 1-1 Wizard, tap, uh, two untapped Wizards to tap target permanent. So one of the things, the reason I, I wanted to point this out, they're very similar from Afedo, um, so one of the things is I wanted to stress that we were trying hard to make sure that the different um, creature types had different themes to them. Well, one of the things we wanted to do was we wanted to focus on a bunch of different creature types, and we wanted them each to have their own deck, meaning there's a certain style of play they have. So wizards, we decided, were they were blue, they were going to mess with you. They were going to attack your stuff, they're going to counter your spells. They're just kind of very much, you know, tricky blue, blue wizards. Um, and, and another thing that we, we tried to do, one of the things that we wanted is, um, before this happened, before Onslaught, tribal mostly meant I, I grant an ability to my um, creatures of a certain type. If you go to Alpha, you have Goblin King, you have Lord of Atlantis, you have Zombie Master. Each one of those, which were the very first you know, tribal lords, is kind of like, oh, well, if I have Goblin King in play, my goblins are stronger. If I have Lord of Atlantis in play, my merfolk are stronger. Um, one of the things we tried really hard in Onslaught is to come up with some ways to make creatures have value in a, in a slightly different way. So here, for example, um, they're part of a cost. It's like, well, I need to have wizards in order to do something, but I'm using them. If I tap them for this effect, well, then I'm not using them. Um, the good thing about wizards, and the reason that tapping wizards made a lot of sense is, in general, wizards are small. Um, having a mechanic where you had to tap beasts to do something is a lot more uh, a larger cost, because beasts are big enough they want to attack. A lot of wizards are 1-1s one and 1-2s, and so tapping them isn't that big a deal. 
Um, you'll notice when we get there that we also mess around with tapping with soldiers. Also, they're small, but we'll get there. Next, Arcanus the Omnipotent. Three UUU uh, for a wizard legend. Uh, tap, draw two cards, two a blue and a blue. You can bounce Arcanus back to your hand. You can return him to your hand. Um, so our one of the things that was going on in this block, in fact, both Odyssey and Onslaught, was the idea of the pit fighting. So one of the, one of the, the ideas behind the story was there's a place where... Um, where wizards would fight with magic, kind of to recreate what you, the players, were doing. Um, and it was called pit fighting. And the idea was these two people would get into an arena, and then using whatever magic they could, uh, they would fight. And some of the fight was actual fighting, and some of the fighting was magic. Um, Kamal was, uh, Kamal Pit Fighter, originally, um, was one of the best pit fighters, and he was the main character of our story. Um, uh, and what happens in Odyssey, he was Kamal Pit Fighter, and then... Here we'll eventually get to it. He became uh, became Kamal, Lord of Lord of Crosa, Fist of Crosa. Um, I, I we'll get there. Uh, anyway, um, Arcanus was one of the pit fighters, and he was supposed to be a really crafty and dangerous blue pit fighter. Where we're like, okay, well, what does the dangerous pit fighter do? Um, and of course, as as we like to do sometimes, uh, we like referencing the classics, right? What does he do? How's he good? What if he just taps to ancestral recall? Oh, that seemed really good. Um, and then we gave him a second ability that allows you to bounce him to your hand for four mana. So he's hard to kill because if your opponent destroys him and you have the mana, you can save him. Um, he's also pretty expensive. He's six mana, three of which are blue. So the reason we can make a creature that's tapped to, you know, and stuff to recall is, well, he's hard to get out, you know. And, um, but he's a three-four creature. So also notice that he was a wizard legend. So a little, little history for you. Uh, at this point in time, legend was still legendary was still a creature type called legend. So when legends first came out, that's the first set to have legends in it. Legends was the third expansion of Magic. So uh, Alpha came out, and then there was Arabian Nights, and then Antiquities, and then Legends. Uh, legends introduced the, uh, the idea of legendary creatures. Uh, now, but interestingly, the lands and other things were legendary, but the creatures were legends. And so this is still at a time where they were legends. So this is wizard le- legend. Um, and uh, that, that would later change, but not for a little bit. Next, artificial evolution. Early, I'm talking a lot of blue cards first. A lot of eight cards, starting blue, blue cards starting with eight. Uh, artificial evolution was an instant for a single blue, and you could change a creature type. So essentially what it was is, if you remember in Alpha... Um, well, maybe you don't remember. In Alpha, there were two cards. One was named Magical Hack, and one was named Slate of Mind. Uh, Magical Hack changed a, um, a land type, so you could change, you know, swamp to island or plains to mountain. Uh, and Slate of Mind changed a word. You can change blue to red or green to black. Um, now, Slate of Mind and Magical Hack were permanent. Once you change something, it was forever changed. Artificial Evolution didn't do that. It just did it as an, uh, until end of turn. Uh, and the idea was there were a lot of memory issues, and a lot of those you want to use this as a surprise. Is they do some big effect or do some activated ability, and ha-ha, what you thought was going to happen did not happen. Um, and sometimes you can do some pretty fun stuff where not only could you shut off their things, but by changing it to something that you cared about could turn on your things. A thing to remember is, um, during this time, I believe... Um, we, have we have a change over yet? Um, one of the things that happened is at some point we changed over to having tribal stuff just affect your stuff. 
Um, and I don't think, I think as, as of Onslaught, we hadn't yet made that change, that things that granted, bonuses granted. Let me, let me check for example. No, yeah, it, right. So during Onslaught, um, if I bo- gave a bonus to a certain creature type, I gave a bonus to all creatures in play of that creature type. Um, but I also got to count all creatures in play. So there was some tension that... What we do now in tribals, we just count your own things. Because it's kind of weird to be playing and going, oh, I have a goblin. Is it bad for me to play my goblin? Do they have cards that care about goblins? It's more like, look, I want to play goblins, play goblins. Um, that the, the, the version we do now creates a little less tension where you're not quite sure what to do. Uh, and we've, I know there are people that love that tension. A lot of other people didn't like the tension. And we decided that it wasn't ne- a necessary tension for the game. Next, orification. Two white and white for an enchantment. So the enchantment said, whenever a creature dealt damage to you, it gets a gold counter. If it got a gold counter, it turns into a wall. And when it leaves, when the, when the um, orification leaves, you remove all gold counters. So a couple things about this. First off, it turns things into a wall. Yes, at the time, at the time of the set, walls had um, rules baggage, meaning a wall, uh, we now have Defender, uh, and all walls happen to have Defender, but once upon a time, having a wall as your creature type meant you had Defender. Defender wasn't even spelled out. Just walls you couldn't attack if you were a wall. Um, so by turning things into a wall, the, the flavor of this card is I have the spell up, anything that touches me gets turned into gold. And as long as the spell lasts, they stay gold and they're gold statues. You can block with them, but they're not, you can't attack anymore. So does anybody know where this spell came from? This was me doing a white version of a card called No Mercy from Urza's Legacy. So No Mercy was a black card that said, whenever a creature damages you, kill it. I'm like, well, this is white. White's not quite as mean as black. So instead of killing you, it paralyzed you. Um, now, the interesting thing is when I made this spell, it wasn't orification. It didn't turn you to gold. My spell was just, I think whenever you got hit, you got a counter on you and became, you became a defender. I think, the, my, my, in my head, my idea was more like, oh, well, I had this sort of aura of pacification or something. And, like, when you come, I, I sap away your desire to want to hurt me, and so you're now a pacifist, and you no longer will come and attack. But uh, Creative Team said, nope, turn your gold. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was cute. Okay, Avon Brigadier. Three WWW, that's six mana, for a three-five bird soldier flying. All other birds get plus one, plus one. All the soldiers get plus one, plus one. Okay, so there's a bunch of things about this card to talk about. So the first is, um, there's something that I started doing during Odyssey that we continued during Onslaught, um, which was, so early on, when Magic first started, things had one creature type. So when Alpha came out, you were something. Um... In fact, the reason a lot of people ask why Goblin King wasn't a goblin, when clearly in the art he's a goblin, and the answer was Richard wanted to have lords. Interestingly, we no longer support lords, um, but Richard wanted to have lords, and so since he only could have one creature type, he made it lord and not goblin. Um, So, the... um, Anyway, I felt that that was wrong. We had space to fit more than one, so what I did in Odyssey is I messed around with a few creatures that were hybrid by nature. So, like, the Avon were bird soldiers. They were both bird and soldier. Um, and so I continue that here. Um, the reason the Avon worked out pretty well is we had some bird tribal and we had some soldier tribal, and it allowed us a way to get some um, 
They even allowed us to get soldiers not just in white, I mean this card's white, but also to get some soldiers in blue. Because blue naturally doesn't have soldiers, but blue does have Avon, and since Avon were bird soldiers, it was a, a nice way to get some soldiers into blue. Um, so the other thing that, that this card is messing around with is the idea that, oh, I'm two different creature types, and maybe I can cross the streams. The thing that made this card interesting is, if you were playing a bird deck, and birds were white and blue, um, you could play this creature, and you could use them in a bird deck. If you were playing a soldier deck, now soldiers were more white, but there was a little bit of blue in the Avon, you could use this as a soldier thing. Or, if you're making an Avon deck in which they're all bird soldiers, oh, then even even better. Um, and I think the, you'll see, one of the things that's very interesting about this set is, the set after this, which is Mirrodin, is when we did the global, the global change, the global creature type change. Um, we went to the race class system. Now, a lot of people always ask, why is it that the set after the set that should care did you change the race class? And the answer is we kind of figured out during Onslaught, but not early enough to be in Onslaught. And by the time we figured it out, just we didn't want to make the change mid-block, so we made it right after. Obviously, it would have been awesome to have that change done during Onslaught. Um, it would have thematically made sense to introduce the change. It would have added some extra dynamism to the set, but anyway... Uh, it, it, we didn't really figure it out we needed to do it until Onslaught. And by the time we figured it out in Onslaught, it was too late to have it, you know, to have it in, in Onslaught itself. It just, we figured it out a little too late. Um, like I said, this card also shows how this thing boosts not just your birds and your soldiers, but all birds and all soldiers. We've since changed that. Okay, next. Baron Moat. A land enters the battlefield tapped, tapped for black, cycling for black. So I talked about this last time. I just wanted to talk about this cycle a little bit. I, this is the first alphabetical one that has this cycle. Um, the idea was we had had cycling lands. So Richard originally, just to refresh this, Richard came up with cycling. Uh, Richard wasn't on the development. Uh, sorry, wasn't on the design team for Onslaught. Where did cycling come from? Cycling came from the fact that Richard had created cycling. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, cycling. Um, cy- yeah, cycling was a repeat. But where did cycling come originally? So cycling originally was in. Um, the first set that had it was Urza Saga, but it actually was designed by Richard in Tempest Design. Uh, and we had a bunch of cycling cards, but not a lot, just a couple. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even know if it had a mechanic necessarily. Um, and then we decided it was pretty cool and we, 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 that there's too much stuff going on Tempest, so we held some stuff back. And then Mike Elliott, who was on the design team for Tempest, then used it a year later during Urza Saga. Yeah, okay. Um, but anyway, it was coming back. We were bringing back cycling. Um, and last time we had... The first time we had done it, for simplicity purposes, we kept cycling all the same. So all the cycling in the um, first block that had cycling, or was a saga, um, did cycling for two. Um, we actually kept it very simple, which is, which, by the way, which, which is almost baffling in the fact that at the time, we didn't think mechanics were going to come back. Meaning, we didn't do it to save space for it, which is, it sort of feels like we did, but I think more what we did, we were just trying to make it simple. Um, but anyway, we're like, okay, bring cycling back. You know what? We can handle some, some cycling costs other than two. And the lands had always been a little on the weak side. Uh, and so we decided that we wanted, because we wanted to make cycling matter in a different way, we wanted, one of the things, like I explained last time, we were trying to make some um, linear cycling decks, which meant decks that said, hey, play a lot of cycling. And the way we did that is by making some cards that triggered off when you cycled things. Um, and in order to make those decks work, it helped a lot to have the lands, the cycling lands. And so we rejiggered them, made them a little stronger, and put them in. And, and they ended up being, um, seeing a lot of play because of that. Okay, next. 
uh, is Battering Craghorn. So it's two red and red for a three one beast. Uh, it has first strike and morph one red red. Um, so Battering Craghorn was one of the more frustrating morph cards. Why? It seems so simple. Uh, and the answer is that red had. T- I'm tr- I don't remember the other one. Uh, when I get to it, I'll talk about it. But red had two common morph creatures. Um, one of which turned into a 3-1 First Striker, and the other one, um, which uh, was really good on the attack, but I think couldn't block. So anyway, you had a creature that, one of which was harmless on defense, and one of which was dangerous on defense. Um, uh, and also, um, on offense, this was very dangerous. It was a 3-1 First Striker. You didn't want to block this one. But, you know, there was another... The other one was something you could block. Um, and so, whether or not to block it became a very tricky thing. Like, when they attacked... If they were playing red, and they attacked with a, um, a morph creature, sometimes the right move was to block it, and the other times the right move was not to block it, but you just didn't know. And it wasn't like the blue ones you didn't want to block, and the red ones you didn't want to block, or vice versa. Uh, in red common, there were two, and one you really didn't want to block, one you really did want to block. Um... And so uh, it, it was frustrating. It was frustrating in a way that there's no way for players to be able to figure it out. Um, so one of the things we learned from that is be careful when you do morph so that you want players to sort of learn things about certain colors and certain mana requirements. And so that you, you can look and see, oh, they have so much mana available and they're playing this color that you can have some guess of what they might be doing so that you could play around more. So that was important for us. Next, Battlefield Medic. 1W for a 1-1 one, one Cleric. Tap, prevent the next X damage to target creature where X is equal to the number of clerics you control. I'm sorry, the number of clerics in play, not you control. Um, so clerics, so I talked about this earlier with wizards. So wizards and clerics and soldiers, uh, especially, we messed around with tapping as a resource. Um, and the reason that we did that was that they tended to be on small things. Now soldiers were, soldiers were white and blue and else were soldiers. They might have been in red. Um, clerics were white and black. Which So one of the interesting things about clerics was they were in a really interesting color combination. That it just so happened that the two colors that had clerics were white and black. Well, that's that's an interesting thing. They made, and So we tried to make the clerics have a deck in which if you played white and black, they did some neat things together. Uh, and so the white-black deck definitely was a, kind of a bleeder deck where you played defense with the white clerics and you kind of got offensive with the black clerics. Um, and we'll get to that in a sec. Um, interesting note is this card is common. Uh, this is pre-New World Order. Uh, Samite Healer-ish type thing, of which this is. And, and this, this is more than just Samite Healer, because you can prevent a lot of damage. You know, Samite Healer could prevent one. Uh, this thing could prevent, depending on how many clerics you had, you know, could, could do all sorts of things. It was really, really, could be really brutal in the right deck, in the cleric-based deck. Um, okay, next. Biorhythm. Biorhythm is a sorcery for six green green, so eight mana, and it resets all players' lives to be equal to the number of creatures they control. Um, this was just made as a sort of a quirky card. Um, clearly, there was a very, very strong creature theme running through it because of the tribal, and so most people had creatures. Um, it was something you could sideboard in against a creatureless deck. Yeah, um, if, if, I mean, if you're playing green, hopefully, hopefully you got some creatures. Um, and it, it ended up being an interesting sideboard option. Um, it was, I think it, it saw a bunch of multiplayer play, and I mean, it definitely does some weird things um, in different formats. 
Next, blackmail. So a sorcery for a single black. Target player reveals three cards and discards one. So this card has a very interesting story. Uh, in fact, this card, it's a design story that starts in another game. So for those that have never heard of it, and I've mentioned many times, I'm sure you have, um, I made a mass market trading card game uh, 15 plus years ago called Mood Swings. Um, and the idea was I wanted to make a, a trading card game that was just much, much simpler than Magic, something we could sell in mass market. Um, anyway, I was making a card, and I, I was, my wife and I used to play a lot. The game obviously has never been released. Uh, but my wife and I play all the time. And, uh, in fact, a little little tiny story about Mood Swings. Uh, when my daughter, my first daughter was born, Rachel, um, we had two middle names that we liked. I really liked um, Emily, and my wife really liked Diana. And we both, I mean, we both liked both names. And so we used to, at lunch, play Mood Swings over lunch. Uh, and every day at lunch, we'd play best two out of three. Uh, and so we played a little game over a series of lunches where we were playing for letters every day, since Emily and Diana each had five letters to it. Um, uh, and everybody thinks that I was taking advantage of my wife, who almost beat me. I was down four to one. She had D-I-A-N, and I had E, and I came back. Um, so, um, anyway, um, so there was a card. Uh, originally, it was like coercion, where I look at your hand, and then I get to pick whatever card I want. Uh, and Laura really hated that card. And what I realized was um, the, the, the way the game works is you, you only you draw a hand of cards and you just play the hand of cards. You never draw more cards. At least back then, that's how it worked. Um, anyway, and so the fact that once I looked at your hand, it took a lot of surprise out of it. So Laura wanted a little surprise. I said, well, what if I don't see all the cards? What if I just make you throw, show me three? Now, later on, when you only had three cards, sometimes it seemed the whole hand. But early on, it was a card that kind of got stronger as the game went on because you start with a full uh, hand of cards and it goes down over time. Um, but anyway, I made this card, and I made it for Mood Swings, and it played really well in Mood Swings. And I said, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, that your opponent gets a, look at, gets a choice, but not total choice. Uh, and so I made this card, and um, uh, it's playtest name. I'm trying to remember what it is. Mood Swings, all the cards are named after emotions. Um, so I know the playtest name of this card was named after the Mood Swings card, but I do not remember it. Um, it's something like Suspicion or something. But anyway, a magic card at Origins outside the game of magic. Uh, next, Blistering Firecat. One red, 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 so one and three red, four mana total, for a 7-1 uh, Trample Haste. Uh, it's a cat elemental. I'm sorry, it was a cat should have been a cat element. We'll get that in a second. It's a cat. Uh, and then end of turn, you sacrifice it. So it's, just, it's kind of like um, a ball a ball lightning from the dark, which was a... Ball lightning is a uh, 6-1 trample haste uh, sack at end of turn um, for RRR, for red, red, red. Um, and so this basically was similar, um, but uh, it had a morph cost of red, red. So you could play as a morph, and then bam, for red, red, attack them with a 7-1... Um, and so essentially, the neat thing about this was, was once you chose to use it, you lost it. So it's sort of like I can have a reliable 2-2 creature, but if I really need to explode, I can do that. Um, and if I get them low enough, I can surprise them with a 7-1. Oof, sorry. Okay. Um, oh, by the way, this thing was a cat. So the card was literally a cat made out of fire. And so the reason I say... Uh, I wrote elemental down, not 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 because it was an elemental, but it should be an elemental. So it was a cat. Um, one of the things that's funny that we're looking back that I 
I wish we had been a little more exacting. Oh, well, I guess the problem was at the time we weren't doing all that many duplicate things that I convinced him to do like Bird Soldier, but that was like an, a special Avon thing. Um, and I think at the time we weren't as conscious of doing multiple creature types. So it's like, well, it looks like a cat, so I guess it's a cat. Um, but I'm like, well, but it's also an elemental. It's made out of fire. Nowadays, it would clearly, clearly be a cat elemental. So I, I apologize, elemental people. We did not give, give you this card as an elemental, which, which we should have. By the way, a little side note. Um, if I had magic to do all over again, um, I think one of the things I might do is um, spells that are clearly uh, created out of magic, um, of which a, a creature made out of fire, maybe you argue is. Um, I might have had elemental creatures just like we had artifact creatures in Alpha. I mean, if I've started, you know, in the beginning game, just that, like, you know, you make an illusion. It's an enchantment creature. You know, you make a creature that's clearly made out of, of magical energy. That is a enchantment creature, and that's something we had introduced to the game from the beginning. If we'd done that, I think we could, we could have defined enchantment creatures in a way that we could do vanilla. Anyway. Um, uh, uh, well, things that, things that were not. Uh, okay, next. Bloodstained Mire. So this is one of the fetch lands. So basically, you tap, you pay one life, you sack it, and this particular one gets you a swamp or a mountain. So I think the original versions of these lands were done in Mirage, um, and I think they were pay two life. Um, the idea being is it's a dual land that makes you pick which one it is when you play it, um, but uh, instead of remembering what it is, you go out of your deck and you get the proper thing. Um, the reason that these ended up being very good is because things like dual lands that have creature types, like um, both the original Alpha dual lands and the Pain lands from Ravnica, um, have their creature type on. I'm sorry, not creature type. Have their land type on them. So if I say search for a plain or search for a swamp or a mountain, oh, I could go get Bayou, which is a mountain and a forest. You know, I could go get that. You can get things pretty much with the right mix of lands. These lands let you get whatever color you need. So they color fix. They don't just get you uh, black or red. This one doesn't give you black or red and get you any color. And that's why they become very powerful. Um, the funny thing is when we did them in Mirage, two life was just a little bit much. And so we decided to redo them. Uh, and the fetch lands were done at one life. And obviously, since uh, when I'm recording this, you guys do not know this. You'll find this out this very weekend. Um, but you, you obviously now know that we, we brought the fetches back. So the, the Onslaught fetches are, are back! They're in Concert Tarkir. So you guys get to play with these again. And we know you guys are, have been asking for them. So we're happy, happy to bring them back. Next, the Cabal Archon. 2B for a 2-2 Cleric. B, sack a Cleric. Um, you drain a player for 2. Meaning a target player loses 2 life, you gain 2 life. So I explained earlier that Clerics were in a weird space. That the two colors that supported them was white and black. Now, the neat thing about this is white clerics creatively and black clerics creatively are very, very different. White creatives are all about helping and healing. Black clerics are about kind of the opposite, about hurting, you know. White clerics use their, their knowledge to heal you. Black clerics use their knowledge to hurt you. And so it's kind of two sides of the coin. Um, and so to make the cleric deck, what we wanted to do was we said, okay, the white clerics will do white things and the black clerics will do black things, but the way they work nicely is the white one protects you and sort of slows down your opponent while the black one, black ones are the ones that finish them off. So this is a good example where, you know, you can use the cleric to prevent damage and then this cleric is a, is a win condition. It can help you win as you're, as you're holding them off. Next, Cabal Executioner. Two black black for two two cleric. Um, whenever this creature deals combat damage, 
uh, your opponent has to sack a creature, uh, yeah, deals combat damage to your opponent, your opponent has to sack a creature, and this has a morph cost of three black black. So the idea here is, and one of the things we did, uh, I think black and red we did more, is the idea of what we call saboteur, which is if I get in and I hit you, I do something. So if I have a morph, ooh, do I want to block the morph? You know, the morph might be a big creature that would destroy my creature if I block it. Oh, or it might be a saboteur that'll do really bad things if I don't block it. Um, and I said earlier, by the way, that we had a problem with the, the common red. It's not that I don't want morphs doing different things. I want the player to make educated guesses based on what colors are they playing, how much mana do they have available, that you can sort of, you know, how have they been playing, that I want you to figure out how things are going from the style of play. Having two morph creatures that unmorph at the same cost in the same commonality in the same color doesn't allow you to play around them or figure out what's going on. It just makes you flip a coin. Here, though, you know what? Black had a lot more things that punish you for letting it hit them. So if you're playing against black and they have a bunch of mana open, wow, you're much more inclined to want to block. Where something like red sometimes, or green, for green is even better example. Green has giant things that can unmorph. So if you're playing against green, eh, be careful. A lot of what it's going to do is unmorph giant creatures, you know. So maybe if you're playing against green, maybe you let those morphs hit you. Maybe you don't want to block those morphs. But against black, oh, no, black's going to punish you if you let them hit them. Okay, the last one for the day is um, Cabal Slaver. Two black for two one cleric. Uh, whenever a goblin deals combat damage, your opponent discards a card. So this is something we're doing that's a little different. Notice, it's a cleric, but it helps goblins. So this is something that we did a little bit in Onslaught. You'll see us do a lot more in Lorwyn when we come back to do a strong tribal set, which is clerics was a supported type. You could make a cleric deck. But this cleric didn't necessarily go in a cleric deck. This cleric went in a goblin deck. But it allowed you to say, oh, well, maybe I'm going to care about goblins and clerics. You know, it allowed you to cross the streams a little bit. Um, and, and uh, I mean, it was a neat flavor. And we like the idea that, you know, someone leading the goblins, they weren't the goblins themselves. And so um, most of the cards in Onslaught that helped you in some way were of the creature type that they were helping. But we liked a little bit, and we were experimenting a little bit with this, of the idea of like, well, here's a cleric that's helping a goblin. Oh, maybe you want clerics with goblins. Anyway... Obviously, I only got to see, uh, and I'm not even done with the C's yet, so we got a few more podcasts left, but I, I know you guys like the card-by-card card stuff, so I'm, I try to tell as many stories as I can. But I've just parked my car, which means that this is the end of Drive to Work. So I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks.